this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. So here we are with our guest, Kevin Lawrence. Thank you for being here, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm, I'm really excited to be here today. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. So are we. This month, we are focused on building a powerhouse team that is productive and enjoyable to work with. Very excited to have Kevin on our podcast. This One Thing series interview features a great leader who provides key insight in our leadership topic for that month. This month, we are focusing on building a team that delivers results and can work independently. As educators, this is critical critically important for us because teachers are naturally isolated and independent, but we also desire to build a culture where everyone is on the same page and can deliver great results. Kevin, your new book, Your Oxygen Mask First, 17 Habits to Help High Achievers Survive and Thrive in Leadership and Life, takes a hard, no-nonsense look at leadership, and we're appreciative of your candor and tackling this difficult concept. Uh, TJ, why don't you introduce our guest? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Our guest this month is Kevin Lawrence. Kevin Lawrence is a strategic advisor and coach to CEOs and executive teams across North America and internationally. Driven by a relentless passion to help business leaders get what they really want in business and life, Kevin has coached clients across a wide range of industries during the past 20 years. His unique perspective in working with hundreds of leaders inspired him to write Your Oxygen Mask First. The book deals with the dark side of the leadership dichotomy and offers 17 practical steps to triumph in business without being trampled in life. And Joe and I recommend it as a read for all of our listeners. Using his deep knowledge of how to take a good company and make it great, Kevin helps leaders build high-performance leadership teams, expand into new markets, attract profitable customers, and increase productivity and profits. CEOs across the globe count on Kevin to facilitate their strategic planning sessions, to align their leadership teams, and to stay focused. Kevin's also a key contributor to scaling up, mastering the Rockefeller Habits 2.0. He enjoys participating in motorsports of all kinds and lives in Vancouver, Canada with his family where he's coming at us today. We're so fortunate to have Kevin on this episode of our One Thing series. So, okay, Kevin, let's start with this topic of building a team of A players. This is something that you're an expert on. You write and talk about how this can be achieved and that all of us, regardless of our position, have the skill set that can be approved upon. And Joe and I really appreciate that part. What really intrigues us, though, is this notion that leaders should develop a team that delivers better results without the leader's assistance. Not only is this tough to build, but it's also hard for leaders to let go and get out of the way. So let's take a deeper look into this idea. How can leaders build a high-functioning team of players that not only produce the results, but also fit the culture of the organization and can do so independently? We want to hear anything that you might say about leadership, developing people, and the tough decisions that leaders have to make. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Well, that's a, that's a great setup for it. And you know, the, the, the reality is, and like a lot of things, it all starts inside your head. 
And it all starts in actually believing that it's possible. And for some reason in our world, many leaders believe they have to accept non-ideal teams or, or a, mediate, a mediocre team environment. And there's probably lots of reasons for it. And I'm sure many of us are, are responsible for that and things that we've taught people along the way and or maybe been role models along the way. But, but the way that I, I've, I've learned to translate it to, to, to CEOs and, 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 and leaders is, is to think about it in, in terms of sports. And lots of people have played sports, whether it's a, it's a kid or as a young adult. And, you know, one particular CEO I work with in Canada um, who used to play hockey at a high level, uh, and is you know, probably in Canada, hockey is a massive sport uh, for us, uh, lots of passion around it. So, so what, I, what, I, what I said to him is I said to him, hey, here's the deal. It's just like an NHL hockey team, right? You pick a team based on the highest level of capability available in, the, in North America, not who's there. So this kind of the metaphor went along to really there's, there's NHL or professional hockey teams. You could use basketball, baseball, whatever it happens to be. And then there's what we call beer league. And beer league is where a bunch of guys or gals get together on a Thursday night and get a sheet of ice and just go play for fun. And, and I said to him, I said, look, when you started, you kind of had a beer league team. But as your business grew and as your aspiration grew, you know, you now have professional NHL caliber uh, expectations and goals and aspirations, but you've still got a whole bunch of beer league players. How the heck do you expect to win? And he kind of looked at me and he went, man, you're right. Why didn't I think about it that way? So it starts with expecting that you can have the best and also that you deserve to only have the best. And then you start chipping away at it. So it all starts with that belief that it's possible. In traditional HR thinking, there's supposed to be a bell curve. And you're supposed to have, you know, in concept, you know, a good group of super high performing people. And in almost every company I've gone into, that group of high performing people who fit the culture, which we call A players, is about 25% of the population of a company. And then there will be about 50% that would be, we call a B player. You know, they're good. Um, they don't consistently deliver the results. You still have to hold their hand on stuff. They're not quite as driven, not quite as reliable, but they fit the culture. They're just not high performers. And then there's a bunch of C players that don't fit the culture and don't perform. And then there's a few of these very, very special people we call toxic A's, or we call high performing jerks. These are people who are really good, like they are phenomenal, but they're incredibly disruptive to the culture because their operating system and the way they treat people and the way they think, it doesn't match the company. So traditional thinking is 25% A players. In the companies that I work with, we take that number to at least 80, 80. And again, that's a huge, huge mental shift. So it all starts with getting your head around. It's possible. And that your traditional thinking in your industry, uh, in your company, around the people you know, the supposed experts, will lead you to 25%. And as far as I'm concerned, that's not only mediocrity, it's painful. Because when people aren't high performers, or high performers and you're trying to do something amazing, it doesn't work that well. And, and you have to do a lot of extra work yourself as a leader. Things end up keep, things keep coming back onto your plate. So that's, that's kind of the starting point. And then from there, it's just about then being a good leader. 
And what does a good leader do? Well, you always search for great talent. And, you know, we teach leaders some skills around hiring, again, which are very different. There's a, a methodology that almost all the companies I work with use, and it's essentially mandatory. It's not negotiable. Uh, it's called top grading, where it's a dramatically different approach to interviewing that excavates the truth from the person's history. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Mm, takes a little bit more energy up front. But you know what you're getting almost all the time. And you have an 80% chance of getting an A player. So always recruiting and looking. And when you're screening, thoroughly basically doing a forensic audit on the human being, which traditional HR practices will not teach you. Traditional HR practices give you a 25% chance of getting a high performer. Um, it's way too easy to slip through a normal interview process that almost every company uses. Uh, and then it's about coaching and, and managing your people. And this is where, you know, most people have a hard time with the beliefs. Secondly, most hiring processes are very, very weak uh, and don't filter well enough. But then it's about giving people continual feedback about what's working, what's not. And man, that's, that's like the toughest thing for a lot of people to do. We know the theory, but doing it is darn hard. So making sure you're regularly giving people great feedback about the truth, like really about the truth. What's great, what's not, and how do they need to step up to meet your expectation of being a high performer? Not just to be a nice person, but to deliver outstanding, outstanding results. And then the third one, which is not shocking, um, is you know education and, and making sure, I was with the CEO yesterday, He's got an amazing growing business, phenomenal, highly profitable, great team, everything. But they're so busy working, they're not doing any learning and development. So we went through and, you know, we're going to, for him, develop and something that my, me and my team are going to do, a monthly 90-minute video conference or webinar so that all of the leaders in this company continue to learn and grow. Again, not rocket science. Uh, and then for his key leaders, sending them off to higher-end you know, deep learning and they might do a two day negotiating course or managing course or joint venture course or managing suppliers course, but continually making sure everyone's getting lots of education. So none of this stuff is rocket science, but it all starts with the belief that it's possible going through these steps. And then at the end, making tough calls. If the person can't be a high performer in their role, great. What role could we put them in to be that? And if there's not a role in your company, how do you help them find a job somewhere else? Thank you so much, Kevin. That's a lot of fantastic information. I, we know that within education, this idea of top grading is something that we can take hold of, especially in schools that find it difficult to attract great teachers and great performers. You know, yep. we know that that automatically helps with retention. So if they can hit that from the beginning, um, and excavate, as you say, that'll only draw top talent to their school, improve teacher retention. Um, yep. So I see that crossing the business, education, private, public sectors all across. That's fantastic. It, it does. And because top talent wants to be around top talent, right? Like high performing hockey or football players want to be on high performing teams. So if you can build that environment where top talent thrives, it, it makes everything so much easier. 
Kevin, I wanted to ask you a, a follow-up as well. You mentioned this, this concept of toxic A's, yep. which, we, which we find fascinating because <laughs> they're challenging. It's easy to give feedback to people who want to grow, who you know need to grow, and some of the skills um, that they need to develop are obvious. What makes sometimes managing very tough, though, are these toxic, toxic A's you described. They're high performers. They, they produce results, but at the end of the day, like you just described, they're toxic. They don't fit into the culture. How should a manager and a leader approach those individuals? What are some initial first steps they should take? Because you don't want to necessarily um, lose the individual. However, you know that they can do more damage um, if you don't get their behavior under control, their attitude under control, regardless yep. of their personal production, how should one approach those individuals? Right. Well, the first thing is actually to not be afraid of losing them. That's the Great reason point. a lot of people don't have the conversations. Oh, I can't really tell Joe what I'm thinking because, you know, he might get upset and leave and then I'm, you know, I got a problem. If you're fear-based, you won't do it. You need to take risks in order to be a great leader. Now, you always do things respectfully. So let's just say it was Joe. Joe. Hey, Joe. Joe, man, I got to tell you, like you're one of the best teachers I've seen in terms of your work in the classroom, you know, and, and, and what, what, your, what your students have to say about you and, you know, the extra work you do and, and you're thinking like, Lily, you're, you are one of the best I've seen. That's, it's amazing. You know, and, and, and thank you for, for what you're doing. Um, the, 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 the hard part of the conversation I got to have with you, though, man, is like, you know, there are situations with other faculty and other people in the school where you may not realize it, but your behavior drives people bonkers. And, and, you know, and specifically, um, often you're condescending and demanding in a way that doesn't work. And, you know, um, we have this core value, you know, as you're aware of is that, you know, you know, love them like family. And, and, you know, as you know, love them like family means that we treat everyone with great respect, like we would our own grandmother. And occasionally we have a fight or dispute, but it's, it's this, 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 this tone of respect is a key core, core value of our, of our environment here. And like, that, that's, it ain't you. So, <laughs> so I, I love you, man, but we, we, we have to find a way to work on this. Otherwise it's like, it's, it's not going to be a great happy place for you or us. So, you know, what do you think? Of, and let's talk about it. So I'm just, I'm just doing a quick role play, but it's, it's just, that's the reality. We have this core value, which guides behaviors, which hopefully most places have. And when someone's violating a core value, which toxic A's always do, <clears throat> if your core values are right, they will be violating one. And you have a conversation with them, just let them know it's a no brainer. And then it turns into an action plan or we call a performance improvement plan or a PIP in some organizations. But it's like, Subtext is the behavior is not acceptable. It violates a core value. You're going to lose your job. And then they have a plan to work on. It. And sometimes people can change. Sometimes. But at least if we, we owe it to other human beings to give them the opportunity to step up. Thank you, Kevin. That's 
incredible information and very refreshing. You're, you're saying things that resonate in our world that TJ and I at the Schoolhouse 32 promote, whether it's the, the performance plans, um, the yep. growth plans are huge. The yep. core values, we just can't stress enough. So we appreciate you saying that. And at the bottom of it all is this level of candor um, and compassion. And yes. just being straightforward and direct. And thank you for role playing because a lot of our listeners, and it's a great segue into our one thing series, they want takeaways. They want to know, well, how would I do that? And you just gave them the how. So we're very appreciative of that. Um, let's hop into our, our five one thing series leadership questions. Um, who is one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration and where could we find them? Yeah, the, the one that I follow the most for guidance is a man by the name of Jim Collins. And he wrote uh, or co-authored four books about building enduring great companies. Um, Good to Great, Great by Choice, um, How the Mighty Fall, and uh, the other one will come back to me. It's right here. Um, and Built to Last. He's the one who actually really, really did the research to prove that core values were critical to the highest performing companies uh, that endured for, you know, they high performed for a long time. His, his work on building great organizations is the best work out there. You know, I was a key contributor to a book scaling up, um, which is about you know, how do you scale an organization. And, you know, a lot of the stuff, the, the base research came out of Jim's work for that system. I mean, you know, the core values and vision pieces. So anything that Jim does, um, I, I, pay attention to and follow. I've seen him speak. I've, I've actually taken leaders and helped to take leaders to go and spend two days with him in his laboratory. But he is like the master. He's like the, I think he's like the, the Plato or the Socrates of our time. So he doesn't publish a lot of additional content online. Um, it comes out through his books and he's got a lot of resources on his site. But he is the ultimate master and that's, that's where I get any of, of, of my best insights from for sure. That's fantastic, uh, Kevin. We are big Jim Collins fans as well. We have actually mm. featured Built to Last as one of our Mac Daddy selections for our hashtag Read This series. Mm. And so we're, we're super excited to hear that name. Um, if there's one, just a follow-up, is there, is there one thing or a theme through his books or through his teaching um, that you get that you could share? Is there, is there one thing that, that, that thematically resonates with you um, that Jim brings to the forefront of his research and his thinking? Yeah, uh, I've got like two one things. One, it's all about people. And, you know, Jim, you know, did a session with lots of the CEOs I work with have spent one-on-one -on -one time with Jim and his, and his, his time in his laboratory. And, you know, but I remember one of the things he said the most that hit me in, in, with a passion that you wouldn't believe, like he was jumping out of his own skin. And he said that if you want to be a great organization, you must have 90% of the right people in those key seats in your organization, must have. And in his world, right people is equivalent to my world of A players. And he just said, it's just, it's, you can't be a great company with good people. Can't, it's impossible. So, you know, that, 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 when he said it that, in that way, it hit me so hard. I mean, I've been talking about it for years, but then I, I became a fanatic and a freak about it. So that's one. And then two, it's damn simple. Like, it's so simple. 
He is a master, a true, true, true master. And masters boil things down to such elegant simplicity. And, you know, and, and he has, basically, if it doesn't seem real simple and you can't understand it in like four to seven seconds, go back to the drawing board because you don't understand it yourself. So in extreme simplicity. Thank you for that. I mean, we're, we're again, big fans of Jim Collins, all about the people um, and the simplicity. Um, we always say getting to simple to lead better and grow faster and try to the hmm. synthesis and the curation um, and the communication of simple ideas is, is really what this is all about so that people can be better leaders. Uh, one thing that we've loved from Jim Collins too is this note, and I think it's coming out in a lot of what you're saying with HR is just it's far better to uh, hire people who are already motivated than to spend time trying to motivate the people. So it's cool mm -hmm. stuff, and mm -hmm. we appreciate you bringing that forward. And we'll also link back to a lot of that for our for our um, listeners when when we post this. So awesome. let's go into our second um, one thing series question. What's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make the difference in their day or life? So this is one of the things I talk about in my book, um, Your Oxygen Mask First, and this is the most important part of it, is, is something I call resilience rituals. It's basically, what are the three or four things you need to do for yourself, probably in your morning, but maybe not, that that, that make you stronger and more resilient. And, you know, it could be for your, should be probably something for your body and your mind and something for your spirit. And the principle I talk about in the book is you need to take somewhere about 10 to 15% of your best energy every day and dedicate it to yourself first. If you don't, your work and your life are going to suck it all out of your system and you're going to, you know, be left in an empty shell that's worn out at the end of the day, which I kind of like being worn out at the end of the day. It's good. It feels like I had a great day. But to start your day with some of your best energy on the things that basically light you up and fill you up for the day. That's powerful, Kevin. And I, people need uh, to hear that and remember. I, I love the phrase, though, resilience rituals and tagging that to remind them also of something that they um, should be doing and the purpose that that serves. So excellent. What's one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? Oh man, I got a big list. <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm a, like, I'm, that's great. I, I, we love to hear that. Yeah, I never stop learning. I mean, look, I've, my grandmother went back to university at 82, right? Like I'm, and I have that DNA. I like to learn and grow and explore. But the, the, the one thing I'd like to be able to do is to get people to make tough people decisions faster in all seriousness it's the hardest part of business it's mostly about people it's people in numbers but you know to deal with some of these toxic a's or to get better at, at, at getting giving people feedback faster you know there's a lot of delay in organizations because compassionate people sometimes are slow at this um so i I'm always looking for ways yeah, to get people to move faster on those things. Um, that's a, a big, and, you know, and it, yeah, that, that's, that's one. the other one is I'd like to learn to fly a helicopter, but that's, <laughs> but that's more of a, a passion side. But yeah, the, yeah, that would be it. 
Two follow-ups to that, Kevin. It's so interesting that we hear all the time from leaders that they want to fly. And specifically, we've heard just recently from someone else who wants to fly a helicopter. So <laughs> that's awesome because it's come out in the podcast so many times about leaders who want to fly. So anything you might say about that. And the second thing is we're all about that too, like getting faster without and sometimes breaking it and that's okay, but faster without breaking people for sure. What's one thing we can do um, to make it go faster and maybe any insight you have on this concept of so many leaders who want to fly? Yeah, well, I, you know, a lot of leaders that I know, and I have a lot of, one of, you know, one of my friends has a helicopter, another one's getting his pilot's license just like nearby me. And um, there's something about freedom and yeah. movement and power that lots of leaders are drawn to. So I don't know the psychology underneath it, but it's not surprising. You know, I'm a member in a private racetrack, a car racetrack up near Vancouver here. And when I go up there, it's just jam-packed full of type A driven people who like to make stuff happen. So there's something about that. Maybe we're just all adrenaline junkies. I don't know. But um, there is, I don't know what it is, but it is interesting. Um, and then the one thing to make it faster around people decisions, I think it's just having the conversations and giving feedback faster. Now, there's this great management book called The One Minute Manager. Again, bone, bone, simple. And it just talks about how you should be giving feedback of what's working, what's not every day. So it's just feedback much more frequently, I think helps. And in my book, I have a thing called the 48 hour rule is that when someone does something that really frustrates you, isn't right, you need to close the conversation within 48 hours. And it's one of the tools I use that does help some leaders. Sometimes they still take longer, but, um, and sometimes four hours isn't good because you're too hot, but 48 hours is a, is, is a, a time frame to try and get it closed off. That's, it helps. It's still hard. That's great. The 48 hour rule is something that we can, um, definitely promote, put into place. We love the idea of, of feedback, candid conversations. That's right up our alley too. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Really important stuff for anybody listening. Um, what's the one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others can replicate? Yeah, I have a very simple principle that, for that. And I, I had a great, great coach and mentor and teacher that I worked with for years. I'll actually I'll be seeing him again next week. Um, but what he taught me is that as you go through life, as you have problems or as you come up against pain or frustration or anything, he goes, that is your clue to how you need to grow as a person. And I sort of went, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, it's like, it's like the world or the universe is, te- is giving you the prompts for what you need to learn by throwing problems in front of you. So he basically said is take every problem that comes along that's, that's a serious issue. Like not, you know, um, oh, there's a, there's a mark on the floor type problem. I mean, you know, some big issues with people or in business. And when those problems come up, the ones that seem relevant and you know will have a big impact because most problems should be ignored. But he goes, the ones that are juicy and big and impactful and you believe it, then use those as your areas of growth. Don't think about it too much, but just embrace your problems. And I was like, that's a great strategy. And so I keep doing it. And <laughs> the good news is I keep creating lots of problems. So I, c- I continually have a list of things I need to learn and work my way through. And he said, Hey, 
And if you're really good at this and you master it, you will end up with different problems because you're growing. If you end up with the same problems, that means you're not getting it and the universe keeps having to beat you over the head with the same thing until you master that particular skill or that particular situation. That's powerful, Kevin. I love that concept of embracing the problems and then actually using that as a way to determine if you're actually growing or yep. not. Yep. And you know, we know that just resisting the problems that come our way or ignoring them, they just fester. And like you just mentioned, we don't grow from them. So that's a, I, I agree that sage advice um, and something that people can do and probably is a healthier way of just acknowledging um, some of the issues we face on a daily basis. Yep. Kevin, this last question um, is one, what is one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore? You know, that is also a very big list. Like, holy, <laughs> literally, like I, if I look early in my career, what I used to think and what I know today, so much of it has changed. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, like, you know, I used to think that it was hard to be really successful at anything. And I've learned it's not at all. You know, you, you really, um, uh, you, you need to put in 10 or 20% more energy than, than most other people. And you can usually become the top of almost any pack of anything. And, and if you're willing to do a little bit of extra hard work and spend a lot of time learning, um, yeah. So I think that it's, it's not near as hard to do the things uh, and to be really amazing at something as I had thought. Um, and the other biggest thing, and kind of based on my upbringing and things like that, I used to think that the most successful people were strong, independent people. And holy, was I wrong. The most successful people I met, meet and work with leverage the strengths and abilities and get help from tons of other people. So I used to think of in, in a more of a Superman type model, you know, or superwoman, strong, independent person makes it happen on her own. And man, is that like the farthest thing from the truth? The more successful people are, the more they're getting additional help from other people. I, 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 one of my chapters in my book actually is called um, Quadruple Your IQ, which is basically leveraging experts in every single area of work and life for anything that you want to excel at. So I think that, that would be the biggest thing. That was a huge thing I misunderstood early in my career. That's such great advice, Kevin, um, just in terms of leveraging others um, making new connections uh, and just knowing that you can be amazing and it doesn't take as much as one would think to do so it really is about effort uh, towards excellence. So thank you for sharing that. Um, just a fantastic interview today. A lot of simple strategies for anyone listening, which we always say is the key leadership might be complex, but it certainly doesn't have to be complicated. So Kevin, is there anything else that you would like to add for today's listeners? No, I would just summarize it and saying like, it's not that hard. The key is that if you, again, the habits of my book are designed to make it easier. If there's something that you really want to do and you're passionate about and you put the extra effort into your learning and getting the right people to help you, then, then you can get where you want to go. 
The hard part, harder part, is taking care of yourself along the way and managing your brain and managing your energy so you don't destroy yourself. That is the, the trick. And that's why I wrote the book that I wrote because I've seen too, way, way too many highly successful, high-performing people who start to implode. And it's, it's saddening when people are making such an amazing impact on our world, but then they themselves suffer greatly. And then if you follow the habits in the book, there's a, an assessment on the website where you can self-assess where you're at. It's a, again, simple assessment. Um, but if you go and, and keep your eyes open around these things, you can continue to do amazing things and there'll be bumps, but then you know what you need to do to recover and away you go. And, and you don't have to be one of the person that either gives up or, or gets burnt out along the way. Well, there you have it. Thank you, Kevin. I, we can't say enough about the concepts from today's podcast and your book, which we highly recommend. Um, thank you for joining us. We'll conclude by saying, don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed today's One Thing series on how leaders can build better, stronger, more self-sufficient teams, and everything else that Kevin has mentioned about being a better, stronger, more self-sufficient leader. Thank you, Kevin. We appreciate you being with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad to be here.